0: Do you remember the beginning of your marriage, when your relationship was passionate, your connection was deep, your love was strong, and the sex was good? Remember that? Then the honeymoon was over, reality kicked in, and you found out that this marriage thing isn't as simple as it seemed.
1: We are Kevin and Charmaine Lomax. We're going to take you on a journey through the good, the bad, and yes, the ugly sides of marriage. We'll bring you tools from experts in the field and tips that will help you strengthen your relationship. We'll be honest about what it takes to build a healthy one that will stand the test of time.
0: When we learn how to love and make it a priority, this marriage thing is worth it. Hello everyone. Joining us for an in-depth conversation today is the esteemed Dr. Dwayne Buckingham. He is an empathy and resilience expert, a psychotherapist, a dating and marriage counselor, a leadership developer, and in addition to all of that, he's an author and a film producer. Dr. Buckingham, welcome.
2: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Oh, Absolutely. We're thrilled that you can make time to come on with us for a little while today.
2: Yes, any time to talk about
0: love, huh? Yes. We're going to talk about the dark side of some relationships and some marriages. We're covering a topic that is often hidden in the shadows of a person's life. We're talking about domestic violence today.
1: That's right. Hey, Dr. Buckingham, how are you doing today?
2: I'm great. I'm blessed.
1: All right. You know, I remember the first time that we collaborated was at the Marriage Symposium for perfecting faith church back in
2: 2016. yes time flies huh yeah time. Time
1: de- <laughs> yes time definitely flies mm. at that time you spoke to the couples about love i believe that your title in your segment was what is love wasn't it yeah i think it
2: was unconditional love oh, beyond right. saturation i believe is what it, yeah
1: Yeah, well, I know one thing, the couples there really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. So we may have to ask you back on the podcast to speak about that because I think more people actually need to hear that.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm open to it, please. Let me know
1: when. All right, right. definitely. Before we get started, please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you're most passionate about these days.
2: Well, I am a uh, licensed clinical psychotherapist. I've been in the field now for about 21 years and specialize for the most part in marriage therapy. I've been doing that for the entire 21 plus years. I had most of my training in the Air Force setting. I came in in 98 as a Lieutenant and was trained to work with some of our military families. Some of the tougher kind of cases due to deployment and, and some of the other different challenges and I believe the topic that we'll address today around the dark side of marriages. you know, I was trained specifically in that military environment, unfortunately, to deal with some of the darker sides as to some of the stresses that are put on our military summits with deployments and constant moving and things like that. So I had most of my training in a military environment, uh, still in the uniform. Currently run a consultant business where I provide counseling, coaching, and consultant services to organizations and individuals. I uh, married myself with two kids. DJ okay. uh, mm-hmm. just turned four on yesterday.
3: Oh, wow. <laughs> and already.
2: Yeah. Oh. Oh yeah, already. <laughs> and Layla is one. She oh. just turned one in May. Oh,
3: wow. And
2: okay. uh, that's a little bit about me, a little bit professional, a little bit personal. Looking forward mm-hmm. to retiring and just doing my consulting business full a time.
1: But, yeah. oh. Okay, that's awesome.
0: Yes, very, very nice. You have the most beautiful family. All well, right. thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So women who deal with domestic violence typically experience one reality outside of the home. You know, they act a certain way in front of their friends and extended family. At work, they seem very capable and accomplished. And at church, you know, things often seem very normal. And then when they go home, no one else can witness their day to day. They pretty much live in a pressed and subjective reality. Do you agree?
2: yes that's been my experience i think women who are living double lives more educated more professional women i found find it more difficult to reach out for help because of the perception and the images that they've established as you said outside of the home
0: mm-hmm. many women in the situation hide it and i know personally you know they hide it because they're ashamed or afraid or they've gotten so used to it that, you know, they no longer see the harm in it. But before we go all the way in though, can you explain to our listeners what exactly is domestic violence?
2: In very simplistic terms, it just would be aggressive or violent behavior towards another individual, typically within a home setting. And that other individual is typically a spouse or a partner. And so it's it's aggressive behavior that we use the term abuse when we correlate it with domestic violence. It's abusive in nature.
0: Mm. We were looking at some statistics and on average, every three seconds, 24 people per minute are victims of some sort of domestic violence.
2: Yes, and that's only, unfortunately, those that's being reported. But like you said, Mm. there's a whole other number there of individuals who suffer in silence that um, the numbers don't even reflect that.
0: Mm -hmm. I also saw that on a typical day, there are more than 20,000 phone calls to domestic violence hotlines nationwide, and Kevin was very surprised I have to say by these statistics, you, you want to talk about that a bit? I, I think people who haven't seen it firsthand or, or know somebody who dealt with it firsthand are just going to be shocked by what we're about to talk about.
1: Yeah, because I think um, for me, I always kind of wonder like where they get their numbers from or like how many people have they spoken to. I, I usually just like to know, you know, how many people um, that they surveyed to get that number how did they do it because uh-huh. when i heard it initially i was like wow that's like every three seconds you told yeah. me every three seconds in the world somebody is getting abused, abused so. and
0: it's more than that they for this for these stats that i got they surveyed 12 million people in the u.s so it's a lot of people 24 people per minute that's um yeah every couple seconds or so it's yeah. hard to wrap your head around that but um that's why we're talking about it today, because how much longer are we going to be silent about this issue as women, you know, in America, where we're supposed to be free and able to, you know, be anything and do anything we want? We're still being oppressed at home in, in many cases. So, you know, I feel passionate about this topic.
1: Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yes. but, um, but Dr. Buckingham, who can this happen to? Like, who do you mostly see this type of abuse happening to?
2: Right. I think that, I mean, that's a great question because I don't, I don't think it has there, – there's no biases when it comes to domestic violence. It does do not discriminate. I mean, I've dealt with women who were CEOs of companies, and I've dealt with women who you know, were stay-at-home moms. Not to say that that's not important, but just the, the range of being able to show that those who were CEOs of companies who had it all on the outside – we're still susceptible to this thing called domestic violence, just as well as the stay home wife or spouse. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say stay home, because domestic violence is associated with economics and finances. And so there is a different distinction of how those two women are exposed and will actually cope with domestic violence. Mm -hmm. But it does not discriminate. It just those two factors, meaning income being one, or whether person stay home, spouse, or working, determines how long and how they actually cope with the domestic violence. Wow. But it crosses all economic, financial, ethnic groups.
1: Wow. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, now what are some of the other types of abuse?
2: So there's, um, we have physical, yeah. we have emotional, and we have sexual. And so those are the three primary ones that actually show up. And, you know, obviously, as we've been seeing now with the Me Too movement, where individuals have been victims of sexual assault and things like that, what we see more often, which, you know, we get a lot of attention around, is actually the physical. Most people have the tendency to focus on the physical just because it's visible to the eye. But unfortunately, out of the physical abuse, the sexual abuse And the emotional abuse, the emotional abuse, I would probably say in my professional opinion, is probably the ugliest of them all. Mm -hmm. And being so is because it leaves psychological wounds. If a man, and I'll use that unfortunately, because a large percent of the perpetrators is typically male against female, Mm -hmm. Uh, and so most guys that they strike a woman but they never really say anything they're left wondering what would happen and she may have a black eye or some kind of wound physical however that kind of fades but when he gets to the point to where not only does he physically abuses her but psychologically that's where the damages come with the belittling and the degrading and those kind of things that is where the abuse lasts long term Mm.
1: wow okay
0: Yes, and I know for a lot of these relationships, marriages that have abuse occurring, it often starts very subtly. It starts with a little comment that is um, maybe condescending or something that's going to strip away at your self esteem. And then it becomes more overt verbal abuse. And after that, you know, it becomes intimidation. After that, they instill fear in you. And after that, it could become physical, and I'm only speaking from a limited, you know, purview. I, I can't speak for every woman, but what is the progression uh, that you typically see in a marriage that's dealing with this?
2: Typically uh, emotional. It starts emotional. Um, mm-hmm. Like you say, the individual would start with putting the woman down a name calling, mm-hmm. and then as they see progressively, you don't respond to the name calling or you make excuses for it. Well, he calls yeah. you, you know, mm-hmm. a, a nasty name. And you say, well, you know, he's just angry, no big deal. And then you ignore that. And then he pays attention to that. He can call you some of the worst names in the world. You're not kind of like really responding to it. Then next thing he goes to, well, you know, not only calling your name, but he just might slightly shove you. A small Mm -hmm. push. And then that small push, he said, hmm, she's, you know, she's brushing it off as well. And then from a small push, it may come a slap. And then from the slap to sit. And so it progressively kind of, be they see what they can get away with when they are in that place of becoming that, that aggressive perpetrator. Now, on the more extreme side of the house, we have those who just start right off with the extreme fear mm. of they'll beat you initially. Wow. And the minute they beat you, they know right then and there, they won't do the slow road or the psychological they'll just beat you.
3: Oh and goodness.
2: instill that fear aggressively that way. Hmm. But most of it is typically psychological because if, again, the physical, if people see that right away, people will begin to intervene, family members, friends, and because they'll be able to see it and they'll jump in quicker. All so right. typically the path is to bring her down emotionally because by the time he gets the her, she's going to hide the scars herself.
0: Hmm. Wow. All right. So Dr. Buckingham, what tactics are typically used to keep the victim in the relationship? to keep them from calling a domestic violence hotline or calling the police or, you know, how do they keep them kind of um, isolated?
2: Guilt. You know, they lay the guilt thing on them because what we find about most perpetrators, they have some psychological issues themselves. And so one way of preventing and keeping the the young lady from reaching out is getting help is to lay a guilt. You know, I wouldn't be this way if my father didn't leave. I wouldn't be this way if my mother was more nurturing. I wouldn't be this. And so they make you, you know, feel guilty and sorry for them Hmm. to where when they engage in that behavior, it's a way to get you psychologically to to feel, although you're the victim, they make you feel like they're the victim. And um, that's the psychological piece. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, now I understand that. But, I mean, now you're saying, let's say from somebody that's, from the beginning, is getting hit. You know, they're not deep into the relationship. You know, why do they stay?
2: Yeah. Well, there's a grooming process. So, again, I mean, the thing about perpetrators is they're not necessarily bad people. See, this mm-hmm. is where I think society loses track of how the women end up staying because what happens behind closed doors, the world doesn't see. So, mm-hmm. when he's just as well as he might. Peter he's also that guy who's grooming her and she's beautiful and she's nice. So he's not a beast all the time. Mm-hmm. He can be kind. He can be gentle. He can be nurturing. He can be all the things and enough to make her second guess herself. And so that, that idea of, of you know playing with her mind comes more in the sense of him also having some nice qualities and traits that she can see. And mm-hmm. that plays into that guilt that if I call the police or if I get in trouble, this is just a good guy who's having a hard time mm-hmm. right now.
0: Mhm. Oh, wow.
1: Okay.
0: What is the impact ultimately on the mental health of a woman that's dealing with this who doesn't get out of the relationship?
2: I mean, the number one thing is low self esteem. And then, you know, we also talk about self concept. So self esteem, you know, has a lot to do with how we feel about our self concept has more so around the ideal of how We see ourselves through the other people's lens. So from a mental perspective is that you can take a woman who's very well achieved or accomplished in many aspects in her life, but psychologically when she's torn down and she's beaten down, Mm -hmm. then it has a long lasting impact on her uh, mentally. And you find themselves second guessing their own qualities, their own capabilities. And that's why I say even with economically, you can have a woman who's financially stable, but stay stuck in that relationship because she's second-guessing herself. She has self-esteem when it comes to her personal worth, but she may be okay in her professional uh, space.
0: Wow, and and how does PTSD factor in? I know that some women end up with that issue after dealing with this type of thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people actually, unfortunately, glide over the idea of PTSD, Mm -hmm. especially when it's more physical and emotional. When it's sexual assault and, you know, rape or that kind of stuff, we have a tendency to zone in on the PTSD capability. But when it's more physical psychological, I see a lot of women, unfortunately, sometimes that is not brought up. And for those who are not familiar with PTSD, I mean, the basic gist of it is exactly what the, the... diagnosis mean is post traumatic stress disorder basically means that you've experienced trauma that has been so devastating that even after the trauma is over post you're still having problems Mm
3: -hmm. you're still
2: you know not able to function in a manner because that trauma has become part of your livelihood
0: so even if you're out of the situation the residue of what you experience follows you
2: Exactly. And that's what the, the post is referring okay. to. The trauma is over, mm-hmm. but post the traumatic experience, you're still having problems with flashbacks. You're still having nightmares. Okay. You're still avoiding situations that remind you of the traumatic experience. Those are all things that um, even after you move on, you go into a new relationship and you, you're you not trusting. You're you're, you're hypervigilant. You're, mm-hmm. you're nervous. Mm-hmm. You're anxious. All those are things related to post-traumatic stress.
1: Yeah. Now, Dr. Buckingham, you've been quoted as saying self-love is a prerequisite of interpersonal love, that your expression of love is a reflection of how you love yourself. Can you elaborate on that?
2: Yeah. So I think there's this idea that, you know, you, people say it's very cliche, right, that you can't love someone else if you don't love yourself. And so that's kind of the the gist of that, because I think you know they say that if you if you're not able to love yourself you're, you're able to fall for just kind of about anything and so one of the things that I teach women and specifically young girls is that if you really don't know how to love on yourself, it's hard to demonstrate that for the person that you want to be with. And so if a man walks into your life and he sees that you're neglectful in terms of how you treat yourself and how you allow people to talk to you and how you, you know, uh, nurture your own heart, then it's easy for him to step in and dominate you. And so I encourage them to practice this thing called self-love. And and simple ways of saying self-love is waking up every day and giving yourself a positive affirmation. I am capable of being loved because God made me out of love. And for a man who can't love me, he can't be with me. These are the kind of things that you have to be able to speak and say to yourself. And this is what I mean by self-love.
1: Okay.
0: Now, are people who abuse attracted to a certain type of personality?
2: Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think our personalities, I think, you know, for someone who suffers sometimes with low self-esteem, they sometimes look for men who are very dominant and aggressive mm-hmm. and someone who can pretty yeah. much reinforce and pick them up and tell them they're beautiful. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's a great question because in order for their acting to be a, a, a victim perpetrator situation, there has to be great chemistry because mm-hmm. those are those are roles that are played out. And so there are different personalities that attract to each other.
0: Wow. I have another question for you. Can a person be in love with their spouse and still be abusive toward them?
2: Correct. I mean, you know, I've never sat down and with a perpetrator who said to me that 90% of the times when you say, so why did you hit her? And the response is typically, I love her. Oh. And mm. so th- that's always the response. I love oh her. God. I did it out of love. What? And so the issue is not that he doesn't love her. The issue is that he doesn't know how to love. And I think people need to understand mm. that because that the, the love that he knows is the distorted kind of love that is rooted in if I hurt, then I have to defend myself. And if defending myself means that I beat the woman that I'm with, then that's just what I do. So the love is distorted. But literally, mm. they always say, well, I did it because I love her.
0: Wow, and yet women who are abused feel that they don't love them. They can't possibly love them if they're hurting them because love is not supposed to hurt, right?
2: Well, it's not supposed to hurt intentionally. so yeah. but that's the other part of when I say you take a woman who's, you know psychologically not in the right place because mm-hmm. she understands psychologically that it's he's not supposed to hit her. But what she doesn't understand is that love is just an emotion of itself. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say people put a lot of emphasis on love. It has no psychological or logical component to it. Love is how you feel, so that's why a person can actually beat you, but turn around and make you feel a certain way, and we call that emotional hijacking. Mm. That your emotions is getting the best of you psychologically.
1: Wow. So, um, Dr. Buckingham, would you say that um, an abuser, the way that a person is raised, usually, you know, like, would that derive from their childhood?
2: definitely that is a contributing factor you know i refer to that as love styles we all have love styles and and one of the things that we begin to develop in our love styles is observations and so we call it vicarious experience right when you look at your your parents or if you don't have parents so however you learn to love it typically becomes part of your expression of love and so the lack of affection in terms of you know, uh, words of affirmation and positive and things like that. If you don't have that, we're all familiar with, you know, as we call the love languages. So we develop certain kind of love languages, to your point, Kevin, yes, based on our uh, childhood experiences, based on our experiences even adulthood, meaning some individuals can grow up in very healthy households, but then have a very bad relationship. And so their relationships can leave them stained as well. So if we can't say that it's all childhood that plays a role, but some individuals can just have bad experiences and be, you know, really damaged from that, Mm. that moving forward.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: You know, women love to believe that the way a man treats his mother is the way they will treat their wife. Do you find that that's true?
2: Well, we say that too. Again, I say that that's a little, you know, kind of creation that, you know, pay attention to how he treats his mother. And Mm -hmm. I would say that most of us, including myself, I grew up in a single-parent household, Mm -hmm. and while I treated women bad, I would never treat my mother the way that I treated women. Mm -hmm. Ironically enough, because the love for the mother is totally different than the woman on the street. Mm -hmm. And so what I would tell him is pay more attention to the women in his life as opposed to his mother, because we understand there's some kind of, you know, I didn't always do right by women. Mm -hmm. And some of that was as a result of how I saw men treat my mother. And so Mm -hmm. I would not hurt my mother or do anything that would make her, you know, intentionally uh, suffer, but I would do it to other individuals. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the distorted psychology behind that. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) wouldn't hurt my mother, but I would turn around and hurt someone else's daughter or sister. Mm
0: -hmm very interesting women i believe in that you you look at the way a man treats his mother and if he treats her well you think he'll be a wonderful husband okay very important tip that you just gave us there thank you
2: where because you have the mama's boy syndrome because you have some guys actually who who cater to their mother but treat the women bad and so Mm -hmm. you you can't really take that in consideration that's what the whole mama's boy situation is that he'll jump over you know hills and mountains to Uh please his mother but would turn around and treat you like crap. So that, that idea that he would treat his mother a certain way is definitely not necessarily always true.
1: Oh, right. Okay. Also, in your opinion, can a marriage be made whole again after there's abuse?
2: I only believe that, that that can happen under a couple of circumstances. One being that it has to be unconditional love that has to be restored. And I only believe that you develop unconditional love by combining psychology with theology.
1: Okay. Because
2: the... The psychology is going to focus on the damaged flesh and the mindset. And the theology is going to focus on the broken soul and the spirit that comes with that violence. And if both individuals are in treatment and are actually doing the work, then I do believe that you, you can restore um, if both are doing the work and if those two combinations are in a theology and psychology, not one or the other, because there's too much damage that's done.
0: That is profound psychology and theology. Yeah, theology. So you can't just repair your mind without nurturing and repairing your soul so that you can become whole enough again, I suppose, to move forward. Oh, my goodness. So good. Thank you for that. And what if, though, only one person is willing to get counseling or get the help?
2: Well, there are some therapists who would tell you that you just go do the work and then you can influence that other person. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I'm not one of those therapists.
3: Mm.
2: So if the person is not going to put in the work, I would always say that I am not going to be a victim of your abuse because I'm blind to your ignorance. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you're not going to get help, I can't help you. And right. so I think that that's one of the things that keep women stuck is that they believe that they can help the person yes. and um, you can't change a person who doesn't want to be changed
0: or doesn't even see that they need to be changed. I think some people, they they truly don't see what they're doing as a problem, as wrong.
2: Well, well, I do believe that. I mean, I think that people do know. I mean, there's no way now psychologically. I know that I'm beating my wife and I'm kicking her, and I I know that it's actually wrong society, and Mm -hmm. everyone tells me that it's wrong. However, you know, we have a tendency to do what we can get away with, and, and so the individual, if you say, do you know hitting her is wrong? The person would obviously say, yes, it's wrong. And then you would say, so why do you do it? Well, mm-hmm. she makes me mad. She, she, you know, I, I can't trust her. And so they'll tell you all the reasons as to why they are doing it, knowing that it's wrong. So I don't think it's a matter of them not knowing
3: okay.
2: um, that it's wrong. It's, it's an inability to be able to cope with the distortions that are floating in their head.
0: Wow. Okay, so let's say the marriage ended, and the woman has moved on and taken some time to get to know herself again and to heal. What does she do next to make sure that she's even ready for another relationship, or did you already answer well, that question with the therapy
2: Well, yeah, therapy, but you know healing healing is not a endpoint it's not an outcome, it's a process too. Mm-hmm. See, this thing about, you know, someone who goes through and experiences a certain kind of abuse and all of a sudden they go to therapy and, you know, they've gone to church and they're back on the right path. Mm -hmm. The problem with this mindset that we think of healing as an outcome Mm -hmm. is that the the problem is it makes you believe that you're in a place where you're kind of good and that's when you're most likely to let your guards down and be susceptible to a manipulative person Mm -hmm. who can walk right in and, and get you right back in that space. So I always say that Even in therapy, you should have some kind of form of prevention, which means it should be ongoing. And so as you enter back into the dating space, just because your equilibrium has been disturbed in such a disruptive kind of way, the ability to be able to get that back is always going to be somewhat tainted because you have the ability of recall. And if you can recall, you're probably going to continuously be on this journey of questioning yourself, mm-hmm. even for the, the healthiest one. And so what I would say is that as a person gets ready to enter back into a relationship, that they would also continue with the therapy process and not treat it as if I went to therapy, I'm better, and it's done, but treating it more so like you would take your car to get a tune-up so that when you're presented with something that creates a little anxiety in you, you have that support system to help you stay balanced.
1: Wow. Okay. Okay. So what advice would you give someone who sees red flags in their relationship, but they're not married yet?
2: Um, help get help. That's the first thing. I mean, so I always say to, to women is that you want to challenge a man. And I talk about taking a path, of least resistance. So if you give them an option to say that, Hey, I, I believe that there's some things that I'm not so comfortable with in terms of how you communicate and how you express yourself Would you be willing to go and seek therapy? And he comes back with, well, I'm a private person. I don't like nobody in my business. Mm -hmm. So what I say to a woman in that sense is that if a man loves you, he'll do what it takes to keep you. And I truly believe that. And so if his pride and his ego is bigger than him and their relationship, then run. Run. Because run. Let it go.
0: Mm. Well, okay. I agree. I agree. So what if there's abuse and they're already married? What resources would you suggest for women who are at this moment in an abusive relationship?
2: Yeah, so I think, you know, there's some churches who believe, and you know, according to scripture, that there's only one way out of, you know, marriage, and that's Mm -hmm. adultery, you know? And so anything else side of that, unfortunately, I've seen situations where we would say, tell them to go to the church. But as a mental health professional, I'm not always too quick to kind of say that because, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, sometimes the church has fostered individuals stand in situations Mm -hmm. to where it's, it's strictly unhealthy for them. Because that's why I said the best solution is theology and psychology, not one over the other, because we can't necessarily tell a person to pray because the scripture that says faith without works is dead. And so we have to be able to equip individuals with tools and skills after they pray. And so I would say that if you're already in the marriage that mm-hmm. you do go to church, you do talk to your pastor, but I also would say that you go and get some professional counseling from a therapist.
0: Now, how do they choose a therapist that is equipped to truly bring them out of the situation and get their mind back to where it needs to be? Is there a specific That's a great question too. So therapist?
2: selecting a the therapist is challenging. I get people to always say, how do I, you know, so the first place mm-hmm. that I often tell people to go to anywhere in your city uh, or state would be uh, psychology today. Mm-hmm. So you go to psychology today and then you can see someone like myself mm-hmm. and you look at their specialties and you see what they specialize in. Some will have domestic violence. Some will say that they're, they're marriage specialists. And the only way that you can truly determine whether or not a therapist is good for you is to have a session because I can tell you what to look for and I can tell you that the therapist should be someone who listens and non-judgmental. But these are all tech books kind of things. What Mm -hmm. you have to be able to do is connect with someone who you're able to build rapport with. And what that means is you interview them. You don't go in as if you're some kind of victim and they have all the answers. You interview them and you determine what mm-hmm. your needs are and how responsive they are to your needs. And, and so you have a list of questions.
0: Okay. And what questions, give us a couple examples of questions that they should ask.
2: So, you know, technique-wise, I guess for some individuals, if you know your your style of, your personality is one to where you like people to be confrontational. What I mean by confrontational, my style of therapist is, if you say something, I'm going to hold you accountable.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, there's some therapists who they'll just give you the yes and they nod their head, but they are not necessarily like to hold you accountable, be confrontational. Mm-hmm. So, for yourself personally, if you know that your growth is is locked in or connected to you being able to have someone hold you accountable, you would ask the question: Well, if you felt like I was not being honest, what would you do? Yeah. If I was not being uh, accountable with myself, how would you help me work through that? Because that's what you need. And you want to hear what they say. And if that doesn't resonate with your soul, run. Mm -hmm. Mm okay.
0: And I'm going to ask this for those that don't have, maybe they don't have medical coverage and they're trying to find their way and they're in the situation. Is the first session typically complimentary or do they have to have insurance for that first initial testing it out session?
1: Well, some
2: therapists do. I mean, I do 20-minute free consultations. I mean, and so those consultations, I mean, not all offer that, but the ones who do, uh, that's your window of that 20 minutes to ask your questions and see if it's a good fit. And Mm -hmm. if they, you know, don't have insurance, I mean, some individuals do scale. They take kind of scale payment. Um, And then others will connect you to, you know, the abuse hotlines and other kind of places where they have they give you the 1-800 numbers where they have free resources. There's a lot of, number, uh-huh. like, you know, if you even call, like, the Better's Women's National Hotline, you know, and those particular places, Abuse Hotline, those individuals can actually direct you to free resources. Mm-hmm. A lot of nonprofits and other agencies that provide services to women. Even churches have, you know, some domestic violence uh, programs,
3: mm-hmm. you know,
2: situated within the church.
0: Nice. One resource I found online is the Hotline .org. Have you heard of that one?
2: Uh, yes.
0: What do you think about that one? I thought it was pretty comprehensive.
2: Yes. I mean, and there's the domestic violence, the National Domestic Violence Hotline as well. So there's different ones that are national, and then they can actually direct you towards resources that are right there in your um, your hometown or city. And that one, like the ones that are more comprehensive. You know, the number one thing with domestic violence is primarily safety. Mm -hmm. So safety is the primary kind of like thing to get you to a place. And so the ones that are more comprehensive in nature typically have some kind of sheltering kind of system put in place because women stay, again, out of fear uh, or lack of resources. Mm -hmm. And so the ones that are more comprehensive not only provide therapy, but provide you a means to be able to um, feel safe physically
0: Mm hmm I think that is a good point because um, anyone who has tried to get out of a situation like that and went to one of these resources was probably told that when you try to leave, you're in more danger than than before you tried to leave. So they really need to be cautious. um, And depending on your situation, depending on how egregious the abuse is, they should use some caution, right? What do you think?
2: they should yeah so you know when we have domestic violence situations we typically have women to have a um, a gold bag and mm-hmm. um and that gold bag is packed and we typically sometimes we encourage her to keep it hidden so where he doesn't know but that gold bag is hey at any given moment i need to be able to exit and you take whatever's in that gold bag and, and you keep moving
3: because
2: mm-hmm. um, that's really important that that as the individual victim begins to show signs of potentially walking out the door, that's where the abuse does increase. It becomes the danger and the risk of actually being physically harmed to the point to where, Mm -hmm. you know, death increases on the way out the door and um, to the point to where some of the shelters that are more comprehensive, they're, they're secret shelters because Mm -hmm. some of the perpetrators escalate to the point to where they'll come looking for their woman and they put everyone in danger
3: Mm -hmm. and so
2: some of them are that and they got it even some shelters where they don't even like the women to know what the address is because one of the things we find is that the women in their most vulnerable place will go back to the guy or tell him
1: wow wow okay
0: You know, it's a little unorthodox to have this topic on our podcast, but not really, not really to me, but to some it's going to seem a bit unorthodox because we're a podcast that is promoting and supporting and encouraging and, you know, loving on marriages. But we did say that we're going to talk about the dark side of some marriages and, um, while we're not encouraging separation, I think if you're in a situation like this, you have to really look at where you are and um, and assess uh, what your future will look like if you don't make some hard decisions.
2: Well, I'm glad that you all are talking about it because I think, you know, we got this whole thing wrong about, like, marriages. Most people, when we even have marriage conferences, mm-hmm. we'll say healthy marriages, Who, you know, people typically like to understand how to navigate pain points. Mm -hmm. So people are having healthy, healthy marriages, and they're extremely happy. Those individuals are probably less likely to find themselves being in this kind of situation. Mm-hmm. That's the problem is that we don't have enough in the forefront to talk about the pain points to mm-hmm. talk about marriage is not all pretty and it's not all happy. And, and unfortunately, there's not one individual in 20 years of doing therapy that I've ever ran into a man or a woman who said, you know what, I'm going to get married and I love them to death. But I know for a fact that he's going to start beating me. So the problem is this your man, that most individuals go into this happy thing, like we all hope okay. to be happily married. But life happens, situations happen, people's childhoods come into play, and then you find yourself in that situation. And one of the, I think, injustices to me is that we promote this thing that's called happily married, without helping people understand how to navigate when it's not happy.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for all of your insight. That was amazing information. I think a lot of people who didn't even realize how valuable this is are going to hold on to a lot of what you said and hopefully tuck it away and share this episode with others that they think might benefit from hearing it too.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to our next segment. And what I normally do is I usually go out and ask married couples questions and let them answer Mm -hmm. it. I usually call it the listener's question. But because you're our guest, I'm going to ask you the questions and I'll let you answer them. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. So my first question is, what is the secret to a successful marriage?
2: Secrets to sexual marriage is to love a person despite themselves.
1: Mm. Mm. Okay. Wow.
2: Yeah. That's, that's the secret. You have to love them despite themselves. So even when they can't love themselves, you have to love them. And as we know that term to be unconditional love. Mm. It's called positive regard. You don't love a person to change them. You love them for who they are. And the idea behind positive regard is that when a person feels like they're loved despite their shortcomings, mm. they'll be more willing to change for you.
1: Oh, okay. Okay, I understand that. That
2: is beautiful. I
1: love that. Okay, so my next question is, name a couple whose relationship inspired you and why.
2: So, couple's relationship who inspired me and why. Um, I actually have one of my um, couples, one of my clients, actually. Uh, him and his wife have been married about 60 years.
1: Wow. wow. Okay. And,
2: um... And so and the reason why they kind of inspire me is obviously not just the time frame, because I don't get off into years, because quantity doesn't always equate to quality.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. So
2: when people throw out the years, I don't get too impressed by that, because I've had couples who've been married for 25 years and been miserable for 23. <laughs>
3: right. But
2: So that doesn't impress me. So the quality, though, of their relationship, you know, what he said to me, is that without even having, you know, any college degree or any of those kind of things, he said to me that if you do right by a woman and you give her all that she needs, the psychology behind giving her what she needs is that she'll be inclined to give you what you need.
3: Mm-hmm. and.
2: It's so it's pretty much a mindfulness about always being aware of what the person wants or needs. And in reverse, and in actuality, you'll get your needs met. And so that's how they've gotten 60 years, kind of like moving forward, is the idea of putting the other person first and thinking about what their needs are. And your needs will get met in return with the right kind of person.
1: Oh, okay. Very nice. All right, that's, yeah, that's definitely nice. Okay, so the next question. How did you know that you were ready to get married?
2: Um, one of the things I, I was writing a book, I'm always writing these books, but the title of the book is I found my wife after I found myself. Okay. And, um, wow. so I knew that I was ready once I went through this five year of being celibate and mm. I went through the point to where through the celibacy, I understood that I had to get certain things out of my system. And once I worked on those things, I knew I was ready first and being celibate, you know, there is, you have to change your circles because there are certain individuals who would, you know, call me names, you're this virgin, you're this, you're that. Um, but I think you're ready when you're ready to take the feedback from people and look at them and change your circles.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's when I know that I was ready. When I was ready to change my circles and concur less about the impact of changing the circle, I knew that marriage would be for me.
1: Wow. Okay. All right. Nice. Nice, yeah. Okay, and the last question. What is one marriage tip you wish you would have received before you got married?
2: Never allow lust to blind you and believe that it's love.
1: Okay.
0: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Say that again. (laughs) Never Never allow
2: allow lust to blind you to believe that it's love. Mm,
1: mm mm Wow. Okay. Because, yeah.
2: unfortunately, the the thing behind that is, unfortunately, um, some of us end up being intimate before we wed.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so we go into marriages with certain physical desires. And those physical desires sometimes can, which is lust, trick us into believing that we're in love when it's really out of lust.
1: Oh, okay. And so you can't
2: really let lust blind you to believe that you're in love
1: and you love okay okay that's good thank you for those answers you
0: are full of all of these good chunks of information i wish we had more time to talk to you about other topics (laughs) oh my goodness okay so we're gonna wrap up we're gonna honor your time knowing that you only have five minutes left where can our listeners find you
2: Well, they can find me on, first is my website. I like to always direct people there because that's where, you know, the blog and all the information uh, about why I write and articles and, you know, my books and things. And so that's drbuckingham.com, And that's just basically D-R-B-U-C-K-I-E-N-G-H-A-M.com, drbuckingham.com. And then typical social media, you know, Dr. Um, Buckingham, and that's, you know, Dr. D. Buckingham on Facebook and Twitter, same kind of handle, um, Dr. Dwayne uh, Buckingham. So that's where they can find me, Um, but primarily if they're interested in knowledge-based information, go directly to the website and read some of those 200-plus articles I have there or something.
0: Wow. Do you have any great upcoming events? I know you had a, an event for singles some time ago, I saw, earlier this year, was it?
2: Yes. I, um, around this theme of domestic uh, violence, you know, I did the movie You Deserve More. Yes. And so from that, I had did a um, Eye Candy and Marriage Materials Single Women's Conference. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of that conference was to teach women how to distinguish between a man who would actually easy on the eyes but bad on your heart. Hmm. Um, and so we're having that conference I had in February, uh, a couple of days before Valentine. And so I'm having in October the Eye Candy and Marriage Material Workshop. Okay. And so I'm going to teach women how to create a customized dating plan and a marriage roadmap.
0: And where is that going to be held?
2: That's going to be held here in uh, Maryland, and I'm actually going to be doing it on, doing a online webinar version in, mm-hmm. let's see, this October, in October as well. So we're going to have the conference here, the, the workshop, and then I'm going to do the same thing, but it's going to be virtual.
0: Very oh, okay. nice. Will you share good. that information with us when you have it handy? And yes, we'll sure, I sure will. Yes. All right. Thank you. So again, Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom, your insight, yes. your candor. We appreciate you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you all for having me. Thanks for what you're doing to try to keep this marriage thing going, right? <laughs> yes.
1: Okay. Well, you're not off the hook just yet. We got one last thing and then you're good to go. All right. So okay. we usually do a quarter today. day. So Uh can you give us a quote, a poem, you know, uh, just some good advice for our listeners?
2: Yeah. So I do these quotes every day. I post them on um, Facebook. So uh, one of the quotes I put on there the other day, pain is unavoidable, but self-pity is a choice.
3: Mm.
2: Deal with the hurt instead of allowing the hurt to victimize you.
1: Yes oh wow okay that's good
2: good. yeah the last one your worth is determined by the value that you place on yourself that's a good simple one all
1: right i love it yes (laughs) definitely do
0: i'm sure you can give us 10 more right
1: (laughs) right off the top of your head
2: yeah i put them up there every day yeah amazing okay well, well definitely
1: that's good and uh once again dr buckingham thanks for taking the time you know, I know your busy schedule to do this with us. You know, we greatly appreciate it. And uh, we hope uh, sometime later on that we actually get another chance to do something else with you.
0: Yes, for sure. Just,
2: just give me a call. Let me know when. All right. Thanks All right. again. Okay.
1: Now, with that being said, thank you for joining us today. Be sure to check back in for our next episode.
0: do us a favor and review us on itunes or whatever podcast platform you listen on if you give us a five-star rating we might just shout you out on one of our future episodes
1: and if this episode resonated with you take a screenshot and share it on instagram or facebook and tag us at this marriage thing until next time peace
0: and love